Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Kazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au. Here's today's episode. Hello, everybody. It is Mike Gore here in the studio with James Kazina. Welcome to Open Doors Live, the very first episode in a brand new podcast from Open Doors. I'm really excited today to talk to you about a question that I'm probably asked most often when I speak in Australia. It's a controversial topic, a topic that usually gets uh, eyebrows raised in churches and all sorts of things. But before we get into today, I want to play you a brief clip of a song I recorded from a refugee camp. The camp was on the Syrian border in Lebanon. It was full of mainly Muslim refugees, people who had fled ISIS and were now living in what can only be described as abject poverty. See if you can figure out what this song is. I'm sure for many of you it sounded somewhat familiar and if you weren't able to tell well it was a song by a well-known Australian artist called Colin Buchanan the song was My God Is So Big I remember thinking how hard it must be for these children to sing those words living as refugees in Lebanon well, I'm uh, James Kazina, and I'm here with Mike, co-hosting this podcast. It's uh, a real honor to be here. For those of you who are new to Open Doors, we're a global ministry founded by a man named Brother Andrew in 1955, when he began smuggling Bibles into what was then the Soviet Union. Now we're active in over 70 countries worldwide, training pastors and leaders, and providing practical support for persecuted Christians. Today, Mike and I are talking about something that comes up often in conversation, both in and outside church circles. It's the subject of Islam, often messily entangled with issues of Islamic extremism. Look, it can get a little confusing, and it's hard not to see a climate of fear developing within the church. So what is, Mike, and what do you believe should be the church's response to Islam? I've thought about this a long time, and really it comes down to two things for me. I really think the only options are fear or love. But in so many ways, as I dwelled on that thought, I realized that it's almost as though, for me personally, we've forgotten what love really is. And the best way I can describe it is that it's almost as though I had rationalized love to be like you see on a Hallmark card. But that can't possibly be the same kind of love that Jesus personified on earth. And Mike, mentioning Jesus reminds me straight away of the passage on love that everyone refers to. It's the classic wedding scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, which reads, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now, Mike, people might not realize that that's written by Paul while he himself is living directly under persecution. You know, it's what I love. 
in talking about this passage in churches is kind of undoing or taking off the veil of this whole notion that this is something you should only read at weddings because it transcends weddings. I mean, this is the most incredible description of Christian-based love you will ever read. I mean, think about this passage in light of the persecuted church. How do you interpret it? It becomes some of the most incredible words you'll ever read and some of the hardest to live by. How do you interpret this passage, this kind of love, with your view towards Islam? Well, clearly there are two obvious responses. It's either fear or love. And I think more often than not, our natural tendency, I know for me, certainly, my natural response is to choose fear. It certainly seems to be the easier option. The thing that really challenges me about our work at Open Doors is that this isn't the response I see day after day with the persecuted church. We recently uh, shared a project we were involved in all about rebuilding the church in Iraq. Now, Iraq is number seven on the world watch list, which is our ranking of the most difficult places in the world to be a Christian. Uh, since 1990, around 70% of all Christians have left. Over half of those who still live there are now internally displaced. Just outside of Mosul, in the town of Karamlis, a 12-year-old boy called Noah was returning home. He'd been displaced when the Islamic State took control. When the town was liberated, all he came home to was rubble and dust. Some of our field workers walked through his burnt-out home with him. It had been destroyed by the Islamic State. This was my school, and this is my classroom. I used to sit there. My friend Yusuf used to sit behind me. My best subject was Arabic language. I also used to like to play football with my friends at school. The government tells us to go back, but we're not sure if it is safe yet. When I was in Erbil, I missed my house, my toys, my church, but now I have nothing. This was my bedroom. This is where I used to sleep. This is where I used to have my toys. All my toys are burned now. My dream is to live in Karamlas again. I want to be a teacher here. I am not afraid to live here again, because the Holy Spirit makes me strong. What you just heard was actually audio of Noah walking through his home. He wasn't scared because he said the Holy Spirit gave him strength. How's that for an example of how to respond in the face of persecution and extremism? If you want to see a full version of Noah walking through his home in a video, you can visit our blog, opendoorsblog.org.au, and see the footage firsthand. So fear, I guess, is not the correct response. What's our other option? This episode is brought to you by you. Your support makes a difference. How? Well, think about it. Without listeners, there'd be no point in this podcast. And without you sharing this podcast, we wouldn't reach any new supporters. And without supporters, we wouldn't be making a difference in the lives of persecuted Christians around the world. So thanks. Still feel like you're not making a difference? Well, let me show you how you can. 
you can become a frontline partner. That means you can give a monthly donation to ensure your support helps in the long run. Your support today means persecuted Christians can receive the training and relief that they need now. Your support tomorrow provides them with a peace of mind and allows us to figure out new ways to help them not just survive, but thrive in persecution. And your support in the future could mean the difference between whether the church can rebuild and remain or not, especially in places like Iraq and Syria. Your donation will go to where most needed to help us respond to the immediate needs of persecuted Christians. So become a frontline partner and see how your help makes a difference. Now back to today's episode. On this episode, we've been talking about what our response should be to Islam and even what is our response to extremism, keeping in mind that those two notions are worlds apart. Mike, I know I've heard people use the words Muslim and terrorist interchangeably. What are your thoughts on that? James, obviously that would be a foolish thing to do, but it's something that I feel culture is constantly pushing on me and I'm continually trying to resist. You know, for me, the realization that you, me, and Isis are all created in the same image of the same God, no less loved by Jesus, and more than that, he went to the cross because of his love for you, me, and them. That thought was an undoing for me because I realized I'm not saying they worship the same God, but I'm saying that no one is unworthy of salvation. So maybe my prayer over those years has gone from being, Lord, would you wipe them from the planet to Lord, would you convert them, save them and draw them to your side? You see, I think it's foolish for us to assume that all Muslims are terrorists. We see a response in global media that suggests otherwise. The difficulty is media so often permeates its way into the church. And I'm not trying to say it's the church's fault or our fault, because it is really difficult to resist. But what I am saying is that no one is beyond salvation, that I've met Muslim people across the world, and they are some of the most loving, kind, generous, and God-seeking people I've ever met. But I do believe that if we're not careful, the fear-based side of media will encroach its way into our life and ultimately affect our ability to love them. And I think that love is what made Jesus walk on earth so profound. Instead of inciting fear, he challenged people to love. And it's easy to see that some of Jesus' greatest accusers, other individuals in the New Testament, constantly wrestled with that cost. Mike, how do we move from fear to love? Well, the only way to make that transition is to start with hope. Because hope is the only thing greater than fear and forms a bridge to change. A bridge from fear to love, inaction to action, no commission to great commission. The church's response to Islam must protect against fear, find hope and demonstrate love towards Muslims. As I said before, I've had the privilege of meeting so many Muslim people all over the world. People created in the same image of God as you and I. And my desire is that one day they will meet the one true God that they will find salvation in Jesus Christ. But unless we are bold enough to love them, how will that ever happen? And I think a large part of the answer to that question can be found in our scripture for today. What does love look like? It's patient. 
It's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not self-seeking or easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. You know, the founder of our ministry, Brother Andrew, he has an acronym for Islam. I sincerely love all Muslims. I remember speaking at a conference in Holland only a few months ago. And I started by saying to people, Brother Andrew lives by this acronym, I sincerely love all Muslims. And you know what? I'm not sure that I do. And I remember there was silence around the room, almost crickets, you could hear a pin drop. But it was the reality in the moment that although I'm the CEO of Open Doors, I'm not sure that I can live up to that expectation. And it was the journey of this one Corinthians love that helped me realize that actually I can. Because you see, the idea of love that I have was more that, well, to love a Muslim means I need to be okay with these things. Well, no, 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 that's not what 1 Corinthians says. It says it delights when the truth wins out. It's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it keeps no record of being wronged. You see, that kind of love, it takes on a whole new meaning. Because it changes not only the way that I see Muslims, but for that matter, it changes the way I see anything that comes against my belief systems or value structures. And so, Mike, what does that mean for us here in Australia? I know that it's terrifying to share the gospel with our neighbour, let alone a Muslim. What, what does this look like? I remember when I was in the Middle East talking with some Muslims who had found faith in Jesus. And as we spoke about evangelism, and I guess the kind of nervousness that comes with it. One of them said something that I'll never forget because they said to me, Mike, when someone becomes disenfranchised with Islam, the question is not, is there a God? The question is, which God? Which makes speaking to a Muslim about Jesus far less confronting than speaking to someone in your culture about Jesus, where the question is, why God? And then it, it made me flash back to a conversation I had with a brother in Egypt who said the challenge with you in the West is that you look at evangelism as a three-step process, all of these kind of formulaic things, where it's almost like, hey, you share the gospel and people become Christian and then their life is changed. And he says, but evangelizing a Muslim, it's almost as though there's a brick wall between you and them. And they said every single brick in that wall represents a question. And as you answer questions, bricks come out and, and eventually the wall gets low enough that you can see the other brother's eyes. But they said you can't walk with them yet. More questions, more answers, and, and they said the bricks get low enough soon that you can get an arm through and you can kind of hug them, but you can still can't walk with them. And they said over time, more questions, more answers, more bricks come out, and eventually the wall kind of gets low enough that you can sort of get a foot through. And they said, and that's where the journey begins. And he looked at me and he says, Brother Mike, how many questions in that brick wall can you answer? You see... The church's response to Islam, it needs to choose love over fear. It needs to realize that love is a process. And that as 1 Corinthians 13 says, it takes time, patience, courage, and trust. It doesn't happen in an instance. And so what I love is the way that this ministry in the persecuted church 
have an ability to form a bridge between what's called the persecuted church and the free church. And when we do that on this podcast, the hope is that we're encouraging people on both sides of that equation to be more bold and more courageous about Christ. So my challenge to you listeners as we finish up today's episode is that evangelism is as simple as starting a conversation. Mike, I think that's an incredible encouragement. It's something I'll certainly take into my week. Now, look, if any of you have any questions, comments, or feedback, we would love to invite you to email our producer, bethanyr at od.org, and we will get around to answering those questions for you in our next episode. We'd also love you to rate, review, and share this podcast so that we can get the message out to as many people as possible. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next month. Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Kazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au.